0: Saul. Saul, who was a religious leader, was violently opposed to the people who were following Jesus and thought they should be imprisoned and or killed. So he asked for letters from the high priest that he could bring to the synagogues in Damascus, which would sanction his mission, which was that he found any people who were part of the way that what the early church was called, irrespective of their gender, he might have them arrested and carted off to Jerusalem. As Paul was approaching Damascus,
1: a light from heaven came out of nowhere and flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul.
0: The men who were traveling with Saul were speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up, but he couldn't see anything, so his friends had to lead him into Damascus. For three full days, he couldn't see and didn't eat or drink anything. Ananias protested, Lord, I've heard a lot about this guy and how horrible he has been to Christians in Jerusalem, and now he has come here to arrest all of us. But the Lord said to Ananias, I hear you, but go anyway, because I want to use him to be a part of bringing my good news to everyone. I will let him know, though, that following my call will be a harrowing journey for him.
1: Then Saul got up and got baptized. And after he'd eaten, he regained his strength again. For several days, Saul was with the disciples.
2: either in the chat or with a neighbor to turn and just share something that you noticed or something that maybe hit you in a different way uh, if you had heard this before and if you hadn't heard it just anything that jumped out to you okay so we're just going to do that just quick fast observations about what you just heard Elaine and Lisa read for us and thanks for reading. Take another 30 seconds. You don't get to say everything. So right now we are in the middle of, or the beginning middle, of a sermon series called The Church on Mission. And as we're exploring that, we went to the book of Acts, and Acts in the Bible is the stories. it's Acts of the Apostles, it's basically the story of the early church, which we figured was a good place to start with if we were talking about what does it mean to be the church and to be the church on mission. And so today we come to this passage which is from Acts chapter 9, and um, was anyone like surprised by what they heard? Any hands? Anyone was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. No, you all thought this is like the just the silliest passage and totally irrelevant for anything ever. Okay, cool. Oh, Andy Garvers, thank you. I will keep you. We are married to each other. So I think he felt morally <laughs> obligated to raise his hand because it's Mother's Day or something. Um, no, it's not at all true. Thank you. Um, okay, so I find this passage to be, I mean, when you actually really sit with it, Uh, or hear it read and one of the things I like messing with the language sometimes because sometimes I've had the experience while you read the bible and it's like and so and so begat so and so begat so and so and then some things happened and Jesus (laughs) I'm like okay but this story I mean what's happening here is pretty intense right it's the early days of the church And Saul is one amongst many people who are really unhappy, we might say, in an indirect communication sort of way, very unhappy with this new movement that's afoot. And Saul has taken on personal responsibility to do all he can to destroy it. And so he violently goes after people who are identifying as followers of the way. And he gets these letters which sanction his behavior, and he's gonna cart up, every, round up everyone, cart them off, and imprison them. Doesn't man- matter what their gender is, doesn't matter anything, like he's gonna go after everyone and gonna throw them in jail. And I, I wanted us to re-hear this passage because I think sometimes when we encounter stories from the Bible, they can live in abstraction. Like, right, we read it and it's, again, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so Jesus. we are like, but what does it actually mean? And does it have anything to speak to our actual embodied lives today? And what would it have been like to be amongst this number of people who know that there are folks who are literally going to imprison you because you've decided to follow this new way? What kind of horrifying space would that be and what would that look like? And what does it mean then for us to take these stories out of abstraction land, to demythologize them, and to actually let them take on some flesh and realness in our own lives. So today, I'm gonna weave some threads. That's the first one. The second one is the day itself. Today, as I've said already, is Mother's Day. It's a day that, like many holidays, they allow for a special moment for us to pause, to celebrate, to honor, To take aside special sacred time to be able to acknowledge things. Also, this is a day where a lot of things get bought, (laughs) right? It's become very consumeristic in the way that we engage with this holiday in many ways. But it's also a day in some ways that I want to argue that inside of the church sometimes we fetishize this day and inside of the world as well. What do I mean by fetishize? I mean, we make a day This one special day, like the one day a year where we're going to treat women like they're the most important people in the entire planet, right? Now one day, and today is a bigger day than Father's Day, right? I mean, if you're a father, you know that, right? You like, you can get like the leftovers and everything. But but that's because we get one day, folks. It's like one day where it's like the really important day where today, uh, you know, like, If you read the litanies, not litanies as in prayer, but litanies as in Google searches, if you read the litanies, what you'll discover through your Google search are things like, clearly, people who are in heterosexual relationships and are females are the only ones who load the dishwashers, are the only ones who cook, right? Are the only ones who, it seems, do anything according to these lists. Have you ever seen this? Like, what to do for your wife on Mother's Day? Like, load the dishwasher the right way. I'm like what world do we live in I don't know right but when we fetishize something we make it this like special set apart thing it allows us I think to not have to deal with it in our real lives right if I can lift it up and put it over here I don't have to let it actually have flesh because what does it mean for us to be good to each other every single day of the year What does it mean for us to be people who create worlds in which on every single day, equality and honoring of each other and our relationships is the norm of how we live? So hear me, I'm excited to be celebrated today and honored and I wonder what it looks like for us to continue to live into doing that every single day of the year. I wanted to bring that together with our theme for today about waking up because in reality, it's still true that throughout the world, in 95% of, of pulpits, Christian churches, that there are no female-bodied people who are allowed to preach.
0: That's a lot.
2: Maybe today, on Mother's Day, as the one special set-apart day. But I wonder what we might learn and and lean into from this passage with the story of Saul. Because in many ways, the history of the Christian church has been one in which we've been sure we've gotten things right. We've been sure that we've had our letters to say, no, I know for sure God is on my side. And then we engage with one another in ways that don't affirm the image of God or the lifeblood that is in each of our bodies and in each of our skin. And this passage with Saul is this moment where he's going along so sure, so convinced that he's right. And God shows up and basically is like, no, you're not right. Right. What I love in this passage, and as I was retranslating it, I intentionally kept the word Lord. It's, It's a word that I don't use in my general life conversation, right? I don't walk around Lord this, Lord that. But I kept it in there intentionally because not only is it in the text but it's an affirmation when Saul sees this light and he says, "My Lord." He's he's acknowledging that there is a power that is greater that is outside of him that he needs to honor. Right? It's not Caesar. It's not the king. But there's something important and sacred that happens. And the word "Lord" is also evocative of the long Jewish tradition of naming God Yahweh. God is the one who is the ground of being the way that we exist, the air that we breathe. And Saul in this moment is encountered and basically realizes like maybe I'm not the one with the arrows flaming in my hands like this first song reminded us where I think I'm the little God who is controlling everything, right Brennan? But actually like I'm invited to wake up and recognize that there might be a different way to live and a different way to see things. I also really appreciate that in this passage Ananias um, doesn't want to go, right? Right? He seems like an actually a very smart guy. Like, why would I want to intentionally go and encounter this person who's literally trying to kill me? Seems very reasonable. But this guy who's on the straight name Straight, the street name Straight, you know, evocative a little bit of straight and narrow, maybe, that's where he finds this person, and immediately the scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he sees. He sees anew. He sees the world aright. And I wonder likewise what it might mean for us to be people who keep leaning in to seeing the world and waking up anew. We have lived in the midst of a Christian story in which up until this day, not all bodies and not all people are seen as equally human or valued as being equally human or treated as such. And I really don't get why it's such a radical idea To think that maybe we should be the people who are about treating everyone like they're made in the image of God and seeing one another and honoring one another and not killing one another because who knows what reason from long ago made us think that we're not all equal. Because at the center of our faith is a story of a God who formed every single person in God's image. Do you know that in the ancient Near Eastern creation stories, which is the Jewish story in Genesis, in the ancient Near East, This story is the only one in which women are created and created as not some like afterthought or toxic thing, but are actually named as being formed also in the creation and as part of being made in God's image. Jesus comes to earth and sees everyone, calls people down from trees, sees folks who've been ostracized from community, and then in the early church, we see these examples and witnesses where men and women, people, all of them in their bodies and in their skin, as we talked about in Acts 2, they hear the good news and they're speaking it. Should we not then likewise as the church in our time be a people who live and embody that kind of good news? Now maybe all of you are like, yes, sir, I've already thought this like forever. Well, great, then let this be an encouraging word to you this morning <laughs> to keep leaning in what would it mean? What does it look like for us to not just have a day set apart where bodies, and then in fact, actually particular women's bodies, ones who have birthed or are mothers, what does it mean for all of our bodies every single day to be seen, to be safe, to be cared for, to be loved? This week, my Instagram with all of my stories was filled with a lot of women I know and people with uteruses who are grieving a lot. Now I recognize that in our church, we have different thoughts about how we orient to the modern day political conversation about being pro-life or pro-choice. I'm not here to tell you which of those political positions to hold because I think they both have problems anyway. But I'm here to re-invite us in that time when I saw my Instagram blowing up with grief and fear, to ask, what does it mean to be the church in that space? Are we to be the people who set apart one day to honor, but then the other days hold up stones that we throw at one another? Or get our letters from the high priest, because I can tell you, I know you're wrong, and you deserve to come to harm because of it. Or will we be a people who, like Jesus, say lay down the stones and instead seek to foster a world in which all of us have life and are seen. I grew up inside of a religious community that was very political. It's for me to grow up, as I grew up, to be Christian was to be Republican. When I was 14 years old, little Sarah, you may have heard this before, I wrote a speech for my speech class. And I said, if you want to stop abortions, then don't call kids from single-parent families bastards at church, which was what I was called. Don't talk about women who are on welfare as being welfare queens. Don't tell an eight-year-old she's going to be pregnant by the time she's 14 because her mom was a single parent. What does it mean for us wherever you end up in your political positions for each of our political positions to be rooted and grounded in the faith of the God who has formed and created all of us and to then be a people who refuse to take letters to other towns so we can harm one another, but instead are a people who say, let the scales fall off. Let's love one another. Let's create a world in which each of our bodies, whatever our genders, whatever is going on, that we can be honored. That we foster relationships and partnerships where not only one person knows how to orient to the dishwasher. Unless that's your choice, because you know, like, you all, like, one of you does the dishwasher and the other does, I don't know, the garbage disposal. I don't know how those are equal. I don't know. I just pulled that one out, Damon, right? Because part of what I love about this story, is that Saul is encountered by God. Faith isn't a set of rules that we follow, but is an invitation to let ourselves, in our bodies, in our skin, be encountered by the God of the universe and reminded that we are loved. And I'm a deep believer that as we do that inner work, as we are encountered, as we let those scales fall away and let ourselves be loved, it allows us to truly, actually love one another to be a people who are committed to enacting in the world, the world we've already known inside ourselves. If God looks at each of us and says, I see you, you are beloved. And if we actually begin to believe that in our bones, how can we not then turn to one another and say, I will fight to the death for a world in which you get to be seen, in which you get to be safe in which you get to be known in your own skin and together let us build this beloved community following after the Jesus who still meets us on the streets, who still meets us in the dailiness of our lives. What does it mean for us to be this kind of people? A people who keep waking up and waking up anew and again a people who refuse to live inside of small narratives of political partisanship, but bear witness to another kingdom, a kingdom of love, a kingdom that is for all of us. Because just again, to tell you what, I know some really liberal men who don't like women. So just to be clear here, this isn't like Republicans and Democrats, this is about how do we lean into the way of Jesus? How do we look and see one another and see the image of God? And how do we then also be the church that comes alongside of those in our world who are the most marginalized, the most vulnerable, and say, we're going to be found there because that's where Jesus is. Because each of us deserves to live with dignity and to be honored every single day of every single year. Might we indeed be a people who continue to wake up? Might we be a people who continue to love? And in any of the places where we need some scales to fall, because I know I will keep needing them to fall from my eyes for the rest of my life, might be we be re-encountered? Will you pray with me? God, on this day, I pray that you would meet each of us as you met Saul those many years ago. God, the places in our world where fear and certainty prevents us from being able to actually turn to one another with love and compassion God, might you open us that we would know ourselves in our stories in deepest places of shame, that we would know ourselves as loved. And in that way, that we might be the church, a church that is known not for rules we follow, not for stones that we throw, but for being a people who, like you, are willing to lay down our lives, put our bodies in the space in between And say we are committed to a world in which the image of God is honored in each of your children. By your spirit, give us strength to be the church and to be a people who continue to awaken. We give you thanks for your great
0: love. It's in your name that we gather and pray. Amen.